Is everybody in? Is everybody in? The show is about to begin. Welcome to the podcast, conscience that made us. Interviews and stories, tales from the bus. We love taking you back to when it all went down. The greatest live shows and that cheering crowd sound. It's concerts, concerts that made us, concerts that made us.com. Hello, cats and kittens. This is Martin Rocker Schofield, and you're listening to Concerts That Made Us.
Martin, you're very welcome to concerts that made us. Thank you so much. Um, it's it's uh, great to be chatting with you. We've had a nice uh, little intro already. We certainly have. Just just shooting the breeze. Um, I've never found an Irish person that I don't like. <laughs> <laughs> That's good to hear. That's good to hear. Hopefully, you'll feel the same now at the end of the interview. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Let's let's see see how you grill me. <laughs> <laughs> you uh, you're releasing. I'm with the singer on the nineteenth of May. It's a great album. I've been uh, I've been glued to it all week now. There seems to be no limitations on what you're doing with the album. What can you tell us about it? Okay, so I, I'm with a singer. Um, first of all, was a very tongue-in-cheek name um, because the project initially involved a bunch of guitar players from kind of famous South African bands. And... Um, Everyone always knows who the singers are and no one knows who anyone else is in the band. So it was kind of a tongue-in-cheek thing. Like, I'm with the singer. Like, who the hell are you? I'm the guitar player. Oh, okay, cool. And um, anyway, uh, I I called up a bunch of of these uh, players that were in South African bands that I knew and I've toured with over the years and we've done the whole festival circuit and the whole thing. And, we, you know, everyone knows. It's quite a, a small incestuous industry and everyone knows each other here. And 2021... Uh, the whole lockdown thing was happening. No one had gigs and planes to catch or whatever. So I called everyone up, a bunch of these players, and I was like, let's make an album. Um, I love recording. I have a little studio at home. Besides bands and writing for, for my bands and other people and whatever, I just love taking on a challenge. And this was a kind of challenge, just putting all these players together and see what comes out. Very little time to record with everyone. Um, you can't take weeks or months with everyone. So very short sessions with people, getting ideas, getting on each other's uh, brainwaves um, and putting this album together that was just fresh music. None of the, the type of music that we make in the individual bands that we're in. Some of it is soundtracky. The only rule I get or rule, if you like, <laughs> that I gave to everyone when I called them was we're making a guitar album with, with guitar players, but it's not a guitar regular guitar album it's not shredding or uh, how many you know million notes you can you can play in a, a bar um it wasn't a blues concept album wasn't a cover album it was um there's a lot of guys who do that thing who are brilliant at that i just wanted to make some fresh music with these musicians who are usually kind of in a band mold when you're in a band, you play for the song and you, you play to fit the function of your band, you know? It's just interesting to let these players step out of, of a box and, and, and just let them kind of do what they want. Me personally as a player, um, because I do write a lot and play and produce a lot and session with a lot of people, I get, I get to play a lot of, of all kinds of things besides the stuff that, that I'm known for in, in the bands. But... Um, this was also it was a, fr a lockdown frustration it was a pandemic frustration initially and it turned out to be quite a beast <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah that's something actually you notice straight away with the first few notes it's not a regular guitar album in fact you could actually disguise it as something completely different you know it's more so like, I wouldn't be shocked to see this playing at a rave or playing in a disco, you know? It's more sort of closer akin to maybe The Prodigy and stuff yes. like that, you know? 
Thank you. Thank you. I'll take it. You can stay. You can stay. <laughs> <laughs> it's uh yeah, thank you. That that's a big compliment already because I didn't want to make a regular guitar album. Um all the sounds you hear on that album, not all the sounds, let's let's say 95% of the sounds you hear on the album, uh, even if it sounds synth-based, is usually a guitar that's been processed the hell out of. So there's a lot of that kind of yeah electronic feeling on the album or electronic feel, but a lot of it is is guitar based, you know, um, which which was the which was the intention. Um, also, yeah, man, it's the kind of music where it can fit in anywhere. It's genreless, it's it's ageless, it's it's timeless. It's just it's just a cool um, journey. What I say to people, it's just a nice ear journey. Yeah, yeah. And something I've noticed about South Africa, the music scene in South Africa, specifically the rock scene, is it doesn't seem to be like anywhere else. Like you got all these famous guitarists who appear on the album. But I've noticed it's like they're very accessible, you know, over there, not as accessible, say, in the States or in Europe, where and even normal people seem to be like, oh, yeah, that's uh, said. Theo Cruz down the road, he lives just over there. I, I'm friends with him, you know, whereas over here there's legendary guitarists, musicians, and you would have absolutely no access to them. So I suppose it wasn't exactly too hard to get these guys to appear on the album, was it? Uh, no, it was um, it, it was kind of cool because it is such a small scene here, especially the rock scene. The truth is uh, we kind of play to a minority of a minority in this country. So the scene is quite small. Um, musically, everyone knows everyone. Um, there's ob your obvious rivalry and things like that, but it was easier to get everyone on board because there wasn't a ton of red tape record company wise and things like that. Uh, a lot of these artists, because they have been around for a while and they have played in famous bands, have already done all the pitfalls of record companies and signing their lives away. And, um, uh, you know, so they, they kind of, everyone's very aware of what they can and can't give away. Um, and so, yes, everyone was quite easy to get on board to give you a, to give you an idea. If I elaborate on that, there was a, a list I made on the day that I woke up and decided to do this album. I made a list of players that I, that I fancied and thought, would step out the box with me a little. And um, some of them I phoned that I really wanted on the album, and they just never phoned back. Oh, man. Yeah. Um, people were just like, meh, whatever, you know, for whatever reason. But all my top 10 players that I had, kind of all people that I had, all agreed, which, which, which was great. It did take, and I must say this, and I'm going to be dead honest about this, is, is not all roses uh, getting that many people together as the kind of executive producer and standing between the record company, uh, the mixing, uh, nine other guitar players who are also writers and producers. Um, it was quite stressful for me admin-wise. But um, so glad, I'm so glad it's it's here now you know the the it's never been done as far as i'm aware in this country before there's collaborations between people that usually like i say like they're the blues guys who collaborate or um uh djs 
or, or, or things like that. It's never really picked out players that are not vocalists, primarily. Yeah, yeah, it's not something you uh, you hear very often, anyway. No. So, um, also, in that way, uh, well, I'm sure we'll talk about this a little later, about what, you know, how I've kind of run my career and my, my life. But um, I like the borderless thing or the boundaryless thing with I'm with the singer. It can be anything at once. It can be anything at once, even going forward in the future. You know, is the finished product exactly what you envisioned from the very beginning, or how has it kind of changed since you had the idea? Um, yeah, it it uh, some of it changed a lot. Do you know what the most surprising thing for me is from the original idea was how song based most of the album turned out. Oh, yeah. That that there is so many so much vocal on the album. Uh, some of these guitar players wanted to sing, which is beautiful. Um, which also means they had something to say. They 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 don't get chance to say these things in their bands because it's always the vocalist writing about the state of his hygiene or his last breakup or whatever you know. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but um, yeah. Uh, these guys obviously and, and, and Gal had something to say. And even if it was musically, they had something to say otherwise. So anyway, yeah, it was surprising for me. It turned out different. The concept turned out as I wanted it. Um, the name stuck, which was weird because it was the first thing that I wrote down on the piece of paper. And every single player that I told just kind of laughed and was amused. And the more we spoke about it, the more it kind of made sense. That Anyway, that was weird for me that the name stuck. Often when you do projects on the folder in uh, you know in the studio or whatever, it's just called song five, um project guitar or whatever crap, you know. Mm, yeah. <laughs> but um yeah, the first project name, I just called it I'm with the singer. And that, that surprised me, that stuck. Yeah, it sound it sounds very different the album to to what I initially envisaged. Like I say, it's quite melodious and it's quite song-based, although it's guitar heavy. And when I say heavy, I don't mean metal heavy. You know? <laughs> yeah, yeah. And I suppose normally when I'm talking to people about albums they're putting out, they will mention along the way, oh, we're planning on touring it. I imagine yes. that would be an impossible task with this record. One 100%. Um, I spend most of my life playing live. That is my job. Um and I'd love to take this on the road as a one-off thing, but trying to put 10 players together, um, rehearse this thing up, take it on the road, it's so expensive um, as well to, to even take popular bands on the road. So for for us even locally to take this on the road, yeah, no, it's, it's not going to be a thing. It's not going to be a thing, which is unfortunate because that's where you really kind of gain traction these days. But this was never meant to be that. It was meant to be uh, a, a beautiful project that was was nice, fresh music, good ear candy, and and meant for a different thing besides South African radio. It was meant for a different thing. It was it, it was meant as a an international flavor. It was meant as a um, as a sync to to movies or ads or. Um, uh, TV shows, or it it was meant to f fulfill a, a different musical function. It's 
It's interesting you say that now because I'm noticing more and more musicians are saying to me that they're moving more towards sync. You know, they're saying that that's where the money is and the longevity is. Is that something you're going to continue in the future? Uh, 100%. Um, uh, personally, I mean, I've been doing it for years. Um, if you can get a sync, that's what you want. You, a video game, a um, uh, advert, a campaign, a movie soundtrack, anything like that. The truth is, for example, uh, one of my bands years ago, we recorded an album called City of Gold. It did quite nicely in this country and what have you. And I like to tell the story just because it amuses me. Uh, a, a restaurant franchise in this country wanted to use a minute of the song chopped up to shreds, obviously, for one of their uh, adverts, their TV commercials. So we sold them, or the record company sold them one minute of the song, obviously un under agreement from us. You're like, well, hey, thank you. Send the money. Um, and we made more from selling one minute of one song to them than we made for the whole sales of the whole album. Oh, man. <laughs> well, makes sense for what you'd be doing, so. so. Yeah, so it's crazy, man. It's crazy. Even And, and I'm talking like, when was that? 2007, 2008? So, yeah, there's, uh, the money is, it's funny, the money is definitely not in selling music to people anymore as such. It's licensing it. Yeah, yeah. And would you uh, would you be considering releasing live uh, physical copies of this album, or is it just going to be streaming based? Or uh, streaming, streaming based, um, streaming based. Also, again, uh, I just know from experience with the live thing is the only way to really sell albums to people, uh, physical CDs or vinyls. Even uh, is at live shows when people are interested in your merchandise table. Whereas, um, yeah, to, and it sounds negative. I don't want to sound negative about it because it, it's not. I mean, we still sell some physical copies of, of things, but this as a project, and unless it took on a different life, um, we probably won't do physical copies. When I say a different life, if this project suddenly became a cult T-shirt thing and uh, and then the album followed or this thing became a... It was suddenly massive in a TV series, and then everyone wants to know who it was or what it was, you know. Um, but but the channel for us right now is most certainly digital. Yeah, it makes more sense. And uh, at this stage, so we'll we'll dive into your history when it comes to music to give uh, the listeners a sense of your inspirations, your influences, stuff like that. So, cool. if you can, can you remember your earliest musical memory? A hundred percent. Um, I can, I, there's a, there's a few, there's a few moments that I remember that completely turned me on about music when I was extremely young and they were all while I was in this country and not in England. Um, I came here when I was four years old for the first time. One of the things that made a massive impact on me, like a huge impact was seeing, um, a bunch of mine dancers, um, a troop of mine dancers. On uh, let me, I'll explain now. Um, on a Sunday in 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 the old apartheid South Africa, uh, the chaps, immigrant workers, 
who used to work on the mines used to, if you like, kick back on a Sunday. And part of their thing was to do traditional dancing, which was gumboot dancing. I don't know if you've ever heard of it. Or I seen actually it. haven't. No, I'll have to look it up. Okay, okay. gumboot dancing. If you look at welly, welly dancing for you, if you like. Right, um, right. It's, it's welly, dancing with wellies on, and they use the wellies as a percussion instrument because ah. they were minors. Yeah. Um, and I must have been four, and I got these big African skin drums and this strength in numbers kind of chant African stompy dance thing going on. And I remember as a child, the hair standing up on the back of my neck um, for the tribal kind of primal nature of it. It really did something. It did something to me inside, you know? Yeah. Then, then when I started putting it together, when I was older, so a couple of years after that, the first record I ever owned, that I asked my mother to buy was Adam and the Ants, Kings of the Wild Frontier. Ah, not a bad one. The reason why was the tribal drumming that I had been indoctrinated with in this country without even knowing. So this tribal thing and the primal thing again. So something like the first album I ever owned was Adam and the Ants, Kings of the Wild Frontier. And it just, that it, I was, I think, six or seven years old. But there was something in that stuff. Now, when I look back, I mean, I'll give you, I can't I'd bore you with detail. But um, now that I look back, there's so many things in my career and as a guitar player that just that album, I can say, influenced me massively. For example, I'm hugely into surf rock. If you listen to Marco Peroni's guitar style on that album, a lot of it is that country and western twang, surf twang stuff. Then a lot of it is fuzzy. I love noise rock and fuzz stuff. Then a lot of, I love a lot of like electronic type music, but it's got to be hard as hell. Again, that tribal thing. Yeah. Prodigy. Yeah. Uh, chem chemical Brothers. Um, a lot of the drum and bass jungle stuff. I love that kind of stuff just because it was so beat heavy. So yeah, that's kind of, that was the very start for me. And then there was a massive song uh, by Joan Jetts and the Blackhearts that everyone knows called I Love Rock and Roll, which they came to death to death in this country when I was a child. And those guitars on that as well just set me off. I was just, I was off. And then my parents' records when I was very young, um, some Beatles, but my dad was way more Stones fan. My dad was always like, these guys in suits and these funny haircuts. He's like, clean coat. don't listen to this shit, man. It's like, <laughs> these guys, the Stones, these guys. I was like, okay, cool. Um, and then my dad was very into Hendrix, um, which later it, it took me years, but later because it was just I don't know the long haired hippie prog rock thing for me. I was just like, Bleh. um, until it struck me when I was older that just what a genius he absolutely and I love Hendrix now, but um, yeah, so um, a lot of it started off that and then. Uh, one day I was 12 years old, a friend of mine, his mother was from Wales and his dad, well, his mom was from Liverpool. His dad was from Wales. Um, cause there was tons of immigrants here. There is still tons of immigrants here. UK people, Portuguese, Italians, it's tons of like second, third generation people. Anyway, um, 
I, his brother worked for the, he was actually in the merchant Navy. And he came back on a Friday afternoon and we had come from primary school and I was, I'd gone to his house. And his brother had three albums that he had brought back from his travels. The one was Sex Pistols, Never Mind the Bollocks. Wow, right. The one was Violent Femmes, Violent yeah. Femmes. And the other was uh, Specials, Specials. Ah, three very good albums there. On one afternoon, I heard those three albums and it blew my fucking mind. <laughs> I'm not a bit surprised. I was fucked after that. My <laughs> life was fucked. Um, that was it for me. That was it. That specials album, I have poured over that album cover illegally listening to it on my dad's expensive Marantz hi-fi back in the day over and over again after school over and over again working out those guitar chops trying to work out those guitar chops sucking at it um loved that album i was a south african kid but all this british music was just it was so important to me and it was i got i got into all of it from a very young age pre-teen i got into that very alternative stuff and that was me then done that was, um, I've, I've never really, really been a fan of extremely commercial pop music. It gives me the hump more <laughs> so now, more so now than ever. Yeah. Um, I mean, I can look and sing 80s pop music now with delight because it was so well written. So that's why you still know it and sing it, you know? Yeah. Um, I don't know. I'm just really not much of a fan of, of super modern pop, pop music. No, I find there's a serious lack of feeling in it. You know, it is just very commercialized. You can tell straight away, you know. Al Algorithm-based tunes. Mm. But yeah, it sounds like a grumpy old fart. But yeah, so that's where, <laughs> that's where it kind of, that's those, and so when I was younger, especially those three albums, um, yeah, never mind the bollocks, special specials and the Violent Femmes, Violent Femmes album, I just, yeah, it blew my head wide open. Yeah, I have to ask now, it popped, up, it popped into my mind while you were speaking. If you hadn't ever went to South Africa, you grew up in England, but still became a musician, how different do you think your sound would be? Very, very, very. Um, first of all, I would have grown up in Wakefield on a council estate. So my surroundings and my whole habitat would have been my, the, the input that was going into the brain would have been completely different. Yeah. Cause you can only spit out what you've, what you've really had in, you know, True, uh, I believe, um, unless you're faking it. I mean, Jesus, Eric Clapton did a great job of, of, and still does of having the million dollar Ferrari Armani blues, you know? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <he> does. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, some people are, can access that feeling anyway, but, for me, it's it was a, it, it, what goes in, what comes out, you know. Um, so yeah, I, I think my music would have been very different. Also, my drive to do it would have been very different. I still have, okay. So if 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 I just fast forward a little, when I was sixteen, my parents left this country to go back to England. I ended up at Barnsley College of Technology for almost three years studying music. So I kind of went 
back there then. Um, and I, and so a lot of my mates from even college in England now accept music very differently to how I do and, and treat it very differently to how I do. Most of them have completely other jobs and do music on the side or um, are teachers or um, I don't know anyone in England that I left there who's, who's made an album of their own music, shall I say. They all kind of did other things in music. If they followed that. Interesting. Yeah. I suppose it might be the difference in society as well. Like in England, it's more so structured and you kind of, you have to be kind of more straight laced, you know, traditional, I guess, the suit and tie job, stuff like that, instead yeah. of letting loose and following your dreams, you know? Yeah, for sure. But you know what the big difference is in England that I always found compared to here is that people can, could be, I don't know about nowadays, I'm talking back then, early 90s, could be who they wanted to be. Like if you were a heavy goth goth and you had electroshock black hair and you only wore black and lipstick and whatever, and you didn't want a job, you didn't have to. You could be that goth 24-7 and be on the dole. If you were a musician trying to write your own thing and trying to get your thing established, you could still afford to live. Whereas here, there's none of that. You had to do it, do it properly, or have a job. Because there's no social structure here. So the drive, the drive to do it is very different. I left myself with fuck all else. I was like, okay, you're going to do this because this is what you've studied and you've, this is what you want to do, or you've fucked. You're on the street. <laughs> so the drive to do it is different. More of a hunger. It's a hunger. So there's no social structure. So you, you can't go, well, it's okay. I'm going to have a roof over my head and be fed and clothed. No, you won't. You'll be on the street. Jeez. Yeah, it's basically make it or die then. Yes, that's, that's Africa. That's every man for himself. Yeah. So people, when <laughs> my family in the UK, they think I'm like a lone ranger, you know, like I'm really like an African warrior. Like I have no support here. I have no anything. I'm just out here making it. Like <laughs> <laughs> oh, ah, Mad Max or something. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's it's mad, but it's not that mad here. But it's but it is very different. Yeah, mm. it's, it really is like you you survive otherwise you don't yeah <laughs> um so so that yeah the reason for for the music and that and, and bands with their sound and willing to take a chance and that for us in the 90s as well it was especially it was especially ripe in this country it had just changed from the old uh, kind of nazi apartheid regime and we were just suddenly free the, the, we could do what we want we could say what we wanted if you wanted to say fuck the police alive on stage you could whereas before they would have had you arrested in a second yeah you know um so suddenly we had this massive freedom as artists so you'll notice if you do a little bit of research on on the 90s especially rock explosion in this country it was massive mm. because you had all these oppressed white and black colored kids just getting out of their shells going, well, I don't have to do this anymore. I don't have to do that. I can say this. I can jam with people of different colors. 
We can make half reggae, half thrash metal if we want. We can do what the hell we want, you know. Um, and it was definitely that feeling in the 90s. And if you do a bit of research, you'll find that where, where my band, original band, came from and that era of bands in South Africa, it was it was quite a thing. Yeah, yeah. It was, it was quite a thing in this country. Um, some of those bands, like us, still earn a living. <laughs> <laughs> I'd imagine as well, though, like you would have at that time, once the old regime was dead and gone, you would have had this influx of accessibility to music from around the world. And you were probably discovering like the likes of grunge and, you know, all the new sort of styles from America as well. Yeah. Instead of being fed, filtered top 20 shit that the government filtered to us. We suddenly had also beginning of internet access. Suddenly we had everything, <laughs> anything. We had porno in this country. People were like, holy shit, you can walk into a shop and there's tits on the shelf. <laughs> um, it was that. It was that everyone was just open up. Suddenly dudes that used to have to go to the army. So how mad is this? Hardly anyone used to have long hair in this country, even back in the day. I'm talking guys, yeah? Yeah. Because because you just couldn't, because you had couldn't have long hair in school, and then you got out and you got into the army, and they shaved your head for two years, and then you had to get out and get a job. So there was things like that, super control. Anyway, I know it sounds crazy, but back then, like you just had like all these dudes smoking dope and growing their hair and wearing tie dye, going "fuck you," you know. It was like the sixties <laughs> again, you know. I was just um, thinking it, yeah. <laughs> it was very, it was very sixties, the nineties in this country, because suddenly we had festivals as well. So you had all these young people of different colors and creeds and styles and music genres just getting together. And also, because the borders had opened up, there was an influx of drugs. So we had lots of acid. We had lots of E. Um, mushrooms became a thing. Weed was always a thing for time immemorial in this country. Um, but, um, yeah, suddenly we had an influx of a lot of that stuff as well. So people were really going off and discovering a non-conservative South Africanness, kind of finding themselves almost, I'd imagine. Yeah, yeah. But it was a whole country of of of. Can I say, um, uh, oh, what's the word I'm looking for? Like pre-teens just getting their freedom for the first time. You know, yeah. There's like 60 million people just being able to just be free. It was beautiful. Of course, since then, it's been completely fucked up by the government. But yeah, <laughs> like a, a big circle that comes around again. Yeah. Yeah. Although saying that now, like that sounds like a massive, great cultural explosion, especially for the music scene. But I kind of find as an outsider looking in at the South African music scene at the moment, specifically the rock scene. I kind of feel like it's almost the Seattle scene from the early 90s. Like there's so many great bands in South Africa at the moment and so many great bands doing great stuff and making great music. You know, the truth is, I believe there always has been. Mm. It's now just like everything. It's more accessible to everyone around the world. Again, kind of global village, you know. Um, True. But um, there's a lot of... There's a lot of good musicians in this country. And I'm going to just, I'm going to pedal it back to, I'm, I'm going to, I'm, I'm going to say rock music. I'm mm. going to put it under a banner of rock music. Okay. Um, 
there's less and less and less appreciation for that kind of style in this country, as there is, I think, a lot of in, uh, all around the world, really, um, just because of how how kind of tastes change in this. Um, but in this country, it's always been a fight um, for a rock scene um, because, again, we kind of play to a minority of a minority in terms of population and a demographic. Um, the biggest thing in this country is uh, kind of house music, uh, Afro house, I'm a piano, um, some hip hop, um, EDM stuff. That's your biggest stuff. Rock music doesn't stand a chance on local radio. Right, right. Oh, on terrestrial radio, it doesn't stand a chance. If you've got guitars on it, it's not, that's it. Live drums and guitar, that's, you're not on terrestrial radio, period. Oh, man. Um, so it's very difficult for us as, as rock artists. So what, but, but what I'm going to say in that is we've kind of learned to survive on our own Seattle scene. If you like, <laughs> we've learned to survive on our own access, but I feel that there's so many good bands here. There's so many good bands that will just never see the light of day, um, internationally. Um, I suppose it is everywhere, but, um, or there has been really good bands here who should have been. I say that. I mean, I listen to some South African band songs, and I'm like, if that was done by the Killers, it would be a world smash, mm. you know. Or if that was done by My Chemical Romance, that would have been massive. Or Chili Peppers, that would have been massive. But um, it just doesn't get the. First of all, it doesn't get off the ground here just because of the demographic and how terrestrial radio generally works, and so it does revolve around its own little scene. But we do have. And I encourage people listening to this, please go and check out if you're into like rock, indie music, um, any of that kind of thing. But I feel a lot of inter international folks never recognize South Africa for. Please check it out. You know, I think a lot of um, uh, international folks or foreign people, when they think of South African music, they in immediately think of either traditional stuff, you know, the township kind of Mutlanga um, stuff or. Yeah. Um, or the Paul Simon type tinged Afro stuff, you know, um, people to like think generally of that. Um, or, or again, nowadays the Afro house thing or, you know, the black coffees and things like that. But um, I think internationally people don't even think that there's a, a rock scene. For example, funny enough, I'll tell you a funny story. I did a private gig with, with my band, um, last year october in cape town at this big beach warehouse type party space yeah and it was for the international hockey world cup final dinner right right okay so it was all these folks from all around the world but european folks okay mostly now when we do corporate things we're used to kind of towing this uh, towing a line here with a rock because people are very funny about it. You've got to have some dancey Afro element in your thing. It's just for corporates anyway, you know? Yeah. And we got invited to this thing and we were like, cool. They were like, no, you guys, we're employing you for you. You're going to play your stuff and like your, like your band. We're like, okay, cool. So we're used to these things going either one of two ways, you know, people love it or you, you get golf claps and everyone's like, mm, where's the prawns? Hmm. 
Um, but this place went off 1,200 international hockey delegates. Um, and we're playing rock music at them, our own rock music, our own stuff. But people loving it because that's what music they listen to. That's what music people from the UK and America and Spain, and that, that's what they listen to. So they were getting down to us as if they knew the stuff. Like it's familiar to them. It's rock, pop, rock music. But we're not used to that here because we always have to toe this don't be too rock mm. kind of line. You know, it's weird. Yeah. And then since, you know, you're playing to a minority of a minority, yeah. is there a ceiling, you know, like once you grow your fan base, is that it? How do you approach growing further, you know? Th that's it. That's it. In this country, you hit the ceiling of popularity very quickly if you're good. Mm. Um, you'll hit it very quickly. And then that's it. That's it. You have to try then the the uk's and the the smaller scenes funny enough like uh, germany um a lot of south african artists go to holland and belgium because of one of the languages here is afrikaans which is derivative of dutch which is also like flanders or netherlands which is uh, the, the the belgian thing version of the dutch you know yeah um so th there's a lot of artists who go there and do that that thing quite well from this side, but um, there's very few. There's a handful of South African artists who have cracked it like internationally, internationally, um, in terms of getting out of the ceiling of South Africa. One of them is a rock band called Siva, yeah, American rock band called Siva. Uh, they were originally from South Africa, and uh, everyone knows De Antwoord. Mm. Um, massive, massive. Uh, you know, for a South African band, they, they, and Johnny Clegg, a lot of people know him, but a lot of people say, Oh, Johnny Clegg's our biggest. I'm like, I'm afraid he's not. If you look at the numbers, it's Fever and the Unput, you know? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Definitely. <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, being so long in the game now yourself, how do you kind of, yeah. how do you keep up with the scene that's changing and how do you stay fresh? Okay. Um, so for me personally, I've adopted a policy, especially, especially I suppose the older you get. Um, I've been doing this since I was 16. That's when I started college uh, in, in the UK. But um, I try run and, uh, and my band, uh, Wonderboom, the Afrikaans say Wonderboom, the English say Wonderboom. Um, yeah, whichever you, it's two English words stuck together, but it means something completely different in an African language, uh, in, in Afrikaans. Anyway, um, that's my band name, Wonder, Wonder Boom. And um, yeah, we kind of have a policy and, and, and I try to have a policy myself of running our own race. We're not in competition with anyone. We're not in competition with the charts. We're not in competition with other bands. We've been together 27 years now, and we um, we just don't follow trends. Or we obviously have a look around us and see what's going on. And we've evolved and changed and grown as as we've grown as people and musicians. The sounds changed a lot, and but we just don't follow any trends. And that's for me how you stay fresh is you just got to stay in your own lane. I mean, you can be an ACDC and you can make the same album 25 times, and that's beautiful, you know. <laughs> yeah. Um, and that's beautiful. I love that, you know. Um, 
but um yeah some bands evolve and and change but um i think to not follow trends is what keeps you fresh as soon as you're following a trend it's over you're, you're on the back side of the wave then because that wave's already come if you're following it you know um so yeah um but keeping it fresh you know i think life experience keeps it fresh i try personally do new things often right um um like do anything that i haven't done before uh and i may, may not be impressed you know i'll try a new food and i may hate it or at least i know i've tried it or um i'll uh i like to learn i still learn music a lot so i like i like to uh, i'm ear training at the moment um my ears shit so um compared to most musicians who've been doing it as long as i have oh so i'm ear training for example doing just training my ear up better yeah um i like to play the guitar is something for me musically that is a ah, it's just a draw card for me it's like i love music and i love synths and i love programming and i enjoy um whatever you know i started off as a drummer it was actually before i played guitar for a year um but the guitar has a big draw for me i i love it you know so i like learning stuff about it um uh it's never it's a never ending thing for me music in general but the guitar itself has just got a magic for me always has done which i just i just love um i mean something that i st- <laughs> I started off with, and this this was also something that just turned me on years and years ago when I was a kid. It's um, rockabilly. My really? parents played a lot of like old rock and roll rockabilly. I play. I actually have a, a psychobilly band called Martin Rocker and the Sick Shop. We got five. We got five albums out, all available on iTunes and whatever. Oh man, yeah, man. So I play a lot of rockabilly and psychobilly. That's like a thing for me. And the guitar is rich in that stuff. You know, it's like rich, rich, rich. So that's kind of how I learned to play guitar, really, is that, that style of music. Um, and, um, yeah, man, that love for that twang, it mm. was, I don't know, it just sits deep, deep in me, you know? <laughs> yeah, yeah, I get you. I completely understand. We'll get on to your gigs, so we'll start with, as a concert goer, what gigs mm. have made you? Okay, okay. Um, one of them, there's a few. One of them was Donington in the UK, 1991. It was Oprah, uh, Black Crows opened up. They won the Shake Your Money Maker tour. Next was Queensryche. They won the Operation Mindcrime tour. Queensryche, I was like, yeah, okay. I suppose they were good, but whatever. Then was Motley Crue. They won the Feel Good tour. Ah. Then was Metallica, they won the Black Tour. And then ACDC, they won the Thunderstruck Tour. And that was that day. <laughs> oh, I, I saw that. I saw that in uh, like, what, like 10 hours? Jesus. That's like yeah. the ultimate experience, like on, especially when they're on them tours and that moment on in time. That moment in time, they were all at the best of the best of the best. They yeah. were all... At their peak, Hetfield still sang in tune. <laughs> yeah. Um, <laughs> Brian Johnson could still hear 
Um, um, Vince Neil had a six pack. <laughs> That's a long time ago. <laughs> <laughs> like it was, it, it was fucking killer. Chris Robinson hadn't smoked half of Jamaica yet. You know what I mean? Um, yeah. It, it was it was just phenomenal that I got to witness that, and I've still got photos from that day. I've still got a dollar bill that ACDC blew out thousands of these ACDC dollar bills over the crowd yeah. at that Donington uh, with these big air compressors, um, and I picked up two of them, <laughs> and I've still got one of them. I've still got one of those dollar bills that day in Donington. Anyway, that gig was definitely a gig that that adjusted my brain like like a acid trip. Um, yeah. Then um, I saw a band in a tiny little pub in Wakefield. They were from Barnsley and they were called County High. Right. And they were brilliant. They were absolutely brilliant. They were just a young, no-name band. And I was just like, these guys are crazy. These guys should be on a big stage. Anyway, that that weirdly molded me as well. Then um, I have to say... Um, I saw the cult at Manchester GMX in 1991, just after Freddie Mercury died. Uh, and um, yeah, man, I was like, yeah, yeah, I'm going to do this for a living, I think. <laughs> um, then I saw, um, I saw Prodigy here in, in South Africa. And I was, they made my eyes roll back in my skull. It was amazing. It was absolutely amazing. It was just, it was a devastating band live. Another band that I was so, the heaviest band I've ever seen live. And I'm just going to make a note here. I go to a lot of metal concerts because I love metal live. Hmm. I love a good metal band. It's like watching sports. Anyway, the heaviest band I've ever seen live is Biffy Clyro. Really? I saw them in South Africa. I it's the heaviest band I've ever seen live. They are so fucking heavy. Um, light and shade, you know? Yeah. It, but when they go into that shade, it is so bone-crunchingly heavy live. That was one of the best shows I've ever been to. I loved Biffy Clyro. Loved. Um, yeah. Then, um, yeah, there's, there's, been a, there's, been a, there's been a good few. Um, uh, Foo Fighters, I really enjoyed here. Mm. Um, a band, I don't know if you'll know, a um, band from Bradford, uh, England. I saw them a lot when I was in the UK. Influenced me a lot just in terms of attitude was a band called New Model Army. The name kind of rings a bell. I don't know why, but I feel like I, uh, I've i come across them at some stage. Yeah, very socially politically aware band you know mm. um uh very very northern and then later yeah yeah i saw them a lot in terms of gigs yeah and when you're going to a gig then what do you look for in a gig what makes a good gig for you um i want to see an honest band right um that's all oh. um if your if your gig is Jesus and Mary Chain fuzz reverb feedback for ten minutes, then just do it fucking well. Yeah, yeah. you know. Um, I um, 
I love, I love, I love musicians. I always say I'm, I'm way too much of a groupie to be a rock star. <laughs> right. um, yeah, I love musicians. Like, <laughs> I love hanging with them. I love talking to them, learning from them. Like, I love it. So I'll go. I, I like to watch bands, but I'm also particular. Like, sometimes my band guys and people I know will be like, oh, man, but why don't you go out and watch this? I'm like, I don't want to stand there and watch that. I'm not going to. And then the other gigs, they're like, why are you going to watch Sacrificial Goat and the Bleeding Torso? I'm like, because I want to. I like their drummer, and I want to see how they, how fast he can play, <laughs> or whatever. You know, <laughs> yeah. I, I I think you get different things from from music, different music. You know, yeah, um, yeah, yeah. And your own gigs. Then we'll move into your own gigs for the international audience any listeners that haven't caught one of your shows what can they expect okay well i'll, I'll explain it quickly uh, wonderboom or wonderboom or however you'd like to pronounce it uh, we kind of um uh rock i suppose a rock pop rock band bordering on funky stuff sometimes we're also a bit genreless we like to float around we've been a, around a long while um and we uh we gig all around South Africa. Uh, South Africa is our home base, you know, wherever the festivals are, wherever the gigs are, wherever the events are, we tour this place. This is our home stomping ground. Um, we have done a couple of uh, UK trips and that. Um, then I, uh, I also have a, um, a psychobilly rockabilly band called Martin Rocker with an A, like a Londoner would pronounce it, Rocker. Um, <laughs> Martin Rocker and the Sick Shop, not Sex Shop, Sick, like a <laughs> right. hosp- like a hospital, um, and that's uh, yeah. I've got five albums out with Martin Rocker, and that's all kind of mad stuff. Anyway, in that in that band, I do a lot of the kind of uh, more subculture scene, uh, the tattoo festivals, the uh, hot rod shows, the uh, kind of things. You know, it's it's that I do a lot of that kind of subculture stuff with that band. Um, or if people just want a general freak show, um, and then um, I'd, yeah, I am um, I I do a lot of uh, session work with a um, very good friend of mine, South African singer called Tamara Day. Um, she's an absolute. Everyone knows her. If if I tour with Tamara, it's painful because everywhere you land and everywhere you go, she's just got to take photos with everyone. <laughs> So to get to an airport with her usually takes double, three times the time if I'm traveling with her. Anyway, check out tomorrow day. She's a hell of a singer. She, she's a South African icon, you know? Yeah, um, yeah. So I do some work with, with her as well. Uh, a singer songstress called Louise Carver. Do some live stuff with her. I play in a, a Latin three-piece called El Cantante. Right. Um, which does all music, Spanish, basically Spanish language music. So anywhere from anywhere from the islands, from Cuba, Puerto Rico to um, Spanish mainland, Mexican stuff. You know, it's it's all that kind of stuff, which is great as a guitar player because you just get to show off for two hours. <laughs> um, <laughs> it's the only project I've ever been in where the singer looks at you and goes, mm-hmm, "Go for it, mm-hmm, go for it, go more, more." <laughs> so yeah we do we do a lot we do a lot of stuff to keep the the boat afloat and for me personally i like to play a lot playing makes me happy so um 
I've, I, again, the more I've played and the longer you play, and I think it's for most musicians, you become genreless because you realize it's all the same basic seven notes. Yeah, yeah. Just fits into whatever you need. To whatever. It's A, B, C, D, F, and G, and the little steps in between, and that's it. Go home. Um, you don't, you like, I, I find it difficult, for example, with guitar students, you know, I teach sometimes as well, and I, I teach some professionals as well that, um, that are in band, much more famous bands than me. But, um, you know, it's it's a thing of, you just got to play because you like it, man. Just like play because you enjoy it. And for whatever reason, whatever style, just play, you know. And a lot of students say, oh, but I want to do this and I have technical this. I'm like, well, you'll get there, you know. But for now, play because write what you want. I've had some students come to me <laughs> that are in bands already and I've sent them home. I've gone, you know what? I just don't want to fuck with your songwriting because you have two awards on your shelf that I don't have for best album of the year or whatever. So I think you should just go carry on with that. (laughs) 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 You know, it's kind of an honesty thing the older you get. Yeah. Anyway, you just become genreless and what I was really, really getting at genreless. It doesn't matter what you play. It's the same seven notes. Yeah. Yeah. And out of the gigs you've played in your entire lifetime, is there one that you would pick as maybe the best experience you've had? I can can I name a, f- a couple, but yeah. one, look, one of the best that I can pull out, one of the best that I can pull out the hat right away, just because it burns a hole in your brain as a musician who doesn't do it all the time, mm. uh, was uh, supporting Guns N' Roses at Johannesburg Stadium in 2018. Holy crap. <laughs> um, yeah, man, that's that kind of stands out. You know what I mean? It's it's one of those things that burns a hole in your head. At the time, you're like, I try to keep it, my feet on the ground at all times. I'm like, it's just a gig. Mm. It's still just a gig. You're going to wake up tomorrow and take a shit and brush your hair and your breath's going to stink. It's still just a gig. So I, I try and maintain that. But in hindsight, when you kind of look back on the evening, it was mega walking down those big tunnels as a band arm in arm, you know, about to take on a, st- a stadium stage with, in your hometown with your own people in your stadium was quite a thing. Um, and then, and then to have, I mean, look, you know, most, uh, let's be honest about it. When you're a, su- a support band, people are not there to see you. They're there to see whoever in our case that night was guns and roses. So the stadium's two thirds full when you play but it's still massive it's still one of the biggest gigs you've ever done and to hear that many people singing your songs back to you in that space is deafening yeah yeah must be jeez that sounds like something you you can't top no not really but i've also had gigs that feel much better and they might be in a club or you know what i mean they just feel more satisfying to you um, yeah, but yeah, there's some moments like that, and then um, I mean, we've 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 played some good international supports. We were on we were on the same bill in tw- 2008, yeah, and we got to hang out with them a bit. And that was um, uh, let me tell you who was on the bill. So we played after as another South African band called Prime Circle, whose guitarist is also on this album, and then was Kaiser Chiefs. Oh, from Leeds. Yeah. Brilliant band. So it was Kaiser Chiefs from Leeds. Chris Cornell, 
No and way. His band. Yep, I still got a photo with Chris from that day. Oh my god. Chris Cornell and his band, which had Tim Thorne on guitar that day. What a champion! And then um, he um, after that was Good Charlotte, American punk band. Yeah, yeah. After that was Muse, and after that was Corn. So that's the best single lineup I've ever played on. <laughs> Jesus. <laughs> that's the best festival lineup I've ever played on. Yeah. Um, and got to fucking hang out with them. But you know what my thing of that day was? My main thing of the day was? Right. <laughs> I got a photo with Lucas Radebe. <laughs> I don't know if you know who Lucas Radebe is. I don't, actually. Famous, famous South African football player who was actually captain of Leeds United. Oh, right. And that beats Chris Cornell and everyone. Uh, yeah, I was like, hey, I'm going to follow with Lucas. Yay! <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, yeah. no, the funny thing is when I showed that to my family in Leeds, they go, holy shit, it's Lucas. Because <laughs> <I'm like, laughs> he was captain of Leeds, you know? Yeah. Uh, but he's a local dude. Anyway, so yeah, it was it was cool, man. It's, it's cool to, to meet all these people and do all these big gigs, but sometimes the smaller ones and the personal ones are better. For example, when you get to do your own two-hour show in a theater and you can have your own visuals, your own sound, your own amps, your five guitars, your guitar tech, it's 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 a nice, comfortable experience. It's your show for the night. Yeah, it's all about you. Yeah, when you're doing these big shows and festivals and that, you're just part of the thing. Mm. Yeah, but we we have been lucky as Vonnebuem that um, yeah that people say we we're an evergreen festival band. We've been described as an evergreen festival <laughs> band, which is quite a, quite a compliment. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And to flip it around now, not get too negative, but is there a gig that sticks in your mind as maybe the worst experience you've had, and how did you deal with it? Um. Yeah, I've we've had some bad ones. When you've been doing as long as we have, you've had like what I'm telling you now about all these good gigs is like the Facebook highlights of your life, and <laughs> yeah. then uh, and then a lot of it is just not that fancy. Um, but yeah, I'd, I'd say you know I'd say some of my worst gigs. Th- this is just the truth for me personally. Not not say the worst experiences and like oh tragedy and terrible and that, but. As gig-wise, one of the worst experiences for me is often playing corporate events. Right. Which, I'll tell you straight up, the money is the best, usually, but your response is terrible. Because people are there to talk business, they're there to impress the secretary or the boss, or they're not there for you, and you're just the irritation to them in their dinner. But you need to be there because that corporate company wants to go, ooh, and you know who we had at our function? We had so-and-so at our function, you know? Yeah, yeah. Um, so, and you, and it's such good money in that, but it's for me, it's often heartbreaking playing those things because no one cares. Yeah, you're kind of like the background noise. 100%. You've got the best sound, usually, the best lighting. You've been paid the best. You've got the best hotels. You've got the eating fat steaks for the night. You can have anything to drink you want. There's, it's, it's all laid on. It's all beautiful, except the gig. <laughs> <laughs> right. 
right. But <laughs> they can be soul destroying for me personally. But um, but yeah, in terms of like worse, worse things, a gig is never bad for me. It's like how bad is bad pizza? You know, how bad is bad sex? It can't be that bad. You know? <laughs> um, uh, I see gigs the same, and I see playing the same. You know, it's like can't be that bad. Even if there's no one there, you're still just twanging your guitar. You know, you're not having to pick up dirt off the road or like you're getting the chance to play. I'm just playing. I'm out there playing, making a living, you know. Um, and I, I think COVID and the whole pandemic made me kind of count that even more lucky. Oh, yeah. That, that, that when I look back since I was 16 and I've never had a real job, I'm kind of like, thank you. Thank you for that. <laughs> um, I'm very thankful for it, you know, that I've, I've somehow managed in this tiny, tiny little industry in this country to be able to do these things. Like I'm with the singer, uh, all these session things that I do, these, uh, you know, albums, uh, the bands that I play and all the gigs, I've, I've considered myself extremely lucky in such a, a minimal market. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. And before we dive into the last couple of questions, then what are your mm. future plans between Wanderboom, the Psycho Billy and I'm with the singer? Okay, so I'm with a singer. Um, I'm with a singer that for future thing is there's already people phoning me about album number two. Why didn't you invite me to play on this? Uh, <laughs> right. And uh, I was at a festival a couple of weeks ago, and uh, one of the guys who also plays in a big South African band called Mango Groove, he's like, So listen, man, um, I know you phoned me for this one, I missed your call, but um. Are we gonna? Can I be on the next one? <laughs> so <laughs> I think I think there's gonna be a, a, a I'm with a singer too, uh, whatever incarnation or guys that takes on. In terms of uh, Bonderboom, we're busy recording album number ten. Um, we've been around a long time, um, and we uh, yeah we're busy recording some some new stuff, and we're constantly traveling and touring with Bonderboom, and it's a it's an ongoing thing for us. You know, we've never stopped. We've yeah. never gone, oh, this is our reunion show. Oh, this is our breakup show. This is our reunion show. This is our fifth tour. You know, we like we we don't do that. We we've always been functional. Yeah. yeah. As, fun as functional as bands get. <laughs> um and then um and then um yeah, with Martin Rocker and the Six Shop, I'm a I was chatting to someone the other day from the record company Just Music, who's done the I'm with the singer thing, who's also doing the new Bonnebuim label stuff. Um just music. Um, I was chatting to them the other day. I might do so on every Martin Rocker album, because of my obsession with surf music from when I was a child. On every Martin Rocker and the Six Shop album, there's two instrumental tracks. Right. So there's five Martin Rocker and the Six Shop albums, which means there's 10 instrumental tracks. So I'm going to put those 10 together, write 10 more instrumental tracks, and release it as almost like a double instrumental album. Oh, interesting. Um, of guitar twangy surf stuff. So that's my mission for this year for Martin Rocker. Um, I'm a crap vocalist and I'm the vocalist in Martin Rocker. So <laughs> okay. I, get sick, I get sick of my own voice. Um, so it's kind of like a Frank Zappa shut up and play your guitar kind of album I think I'm going to do next, you know? Yeah. Um, yeah. Um, yeah, so uh, that's... that's uh, that's where I'm I'm headed for now. What I am also going to do, to tell you the truth, on a personal note, I'm going to take a holiday with my wife. I haven't had a holiday since pre-COVID. You're definitely due one, so 
Yeah, the last time I was in New York, which was so inspirational and beautiful and amazing, blew my brain. Um, so yeah, uh, somewhere like that, I think. So yeah, that's going to be in the near future as well. Is to take a take a holiday with the wifey. Nice, nice. Any um, UK dates or European dates with the bands coming up? Um, n- nothing. Unfortunately, nothing planned. Um, unfortunately, nothing planned right now. Uh, as it's, it is ex- so expensive to tour, so we've kind of got to watch it, watch our pennies as well. Unless we've got a good uh, contact that side, um, in terms of a promoter or someone who's willing to to put up a bit of something. Um, which we're always open to in festivals and, and what have you. Um, but we're also looking at, um, funnily enough, the Middle East uh, later on this year, Dubai. There's a lot of uh, events happening there, a lot of South African expats there as well. So, yeah. Um, so, uh, yeah, we'll, uh, we'll definitely be looking at that. Um, and can I say, hmm. you're, one of the guitarists on this album, Mr. Robin Gallagher, who is actually of Irish descent, clearly, if I was um, thinking. <laughs> he is part of a Irish guitar group. Right. And thousands and thousands of Irish guitar players that he is kind of one of the ringleaders of, but he lives here. Um, so shout out to those guys from uh, Robin Gallagher's guitar group. If I'm going to get them all to have a listen to this as well. Brilliant. Yeah, man. So um, he's a... Uh, what a great play. You must listen to his track on the album. It's called, so it's called Robin Gallagher. We call the track Daylight Robinry. Um, <laughs> and, uh, it's, uh, I actually got him as a, as an old school country guitar player. It's a drum and bass track with some guitar picking on, which is quite interesting. Um, and he was the main guy from Fender South Africa for years. Oh, really? He's like the main, the main cat at Fender South Africa. Yeah. So, um, Hence why he's got this guitar following. And obviously because of his Irish roots, he's got this big Irish guitar following. So, yeah. Well, uh, big shout out to those guys. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I'll have to dive into his music a bit more and see the, the guitar group. Yeah, man, I'll uh, I'll have to get some details on that. Yeah. And uh, we'll dive into the last couple of questions. So if you could see any performer from history in concert for one night only, who would it Bob be? Bob Marley. Right, right. End of. <laughs> yeah, I was just going <laughs> to say. <laughs> no, that's it. No, yeah, that's it. That's it. That's, that's that's like I'm a huge Elvis fan, and that. But there's one thing I realized about Elvis when I grew up, and that he was completely manufactured like a boy band, you know. Um, yeah. Although I love the vibe and what they did with him, but um, no, man, Marley. Period. Brilliant, brilliant. The next one. It's a weird one, though. If you had to spend 24 hours locked in a room with any musician from history, who would it be? From history? So do they have to be dead? Can be living or dead. They can, Brian Setzer. Right, right. From that's Stray Cats. I, yeah, that's one I haven't heard before now. <laughs> no, Brian Setzer is my, my king. <laughs> right. In terms of guitar, I'll just clarify this. In terms of guitar playing, mm. he is... The quintessential guitar player, period. Like he is the, he's the top of the pile of, for me, of everyone. It doesn't matter who you are. He's the, he is the kingpin in the guitar world. Yeah. Yeah. I love his guitars. He has some beautiful guitars. 
Yeah, the Gretches. I actually have a signature model. What I play in Martin Rocker in the Six Shop is his signature model, Nashville. Oh, Brian Setzer, Nashville, 6120. Um, with a flame maple, orange tiger, tiger flame maples thing, you know? Yeah. Top. Lovely. Yeah. I, I'm, I have so I have a lot of guitars because I'm a guitar collector as well. And, you know, I'm a gear slut. <laughs> but um, I have two guitars that I play all the time. That's it. I've got the Brian Setzer Nashville, which mm. is my Martin Rocker guitar. And then I've got my Vonneboom guitar, which is a 1992 Les Paul Custom. Oh, beautiful. Beautiful. That's it. That's pretty much what I, that's, I've got tons. I can play, because I've, I've just spoiled myself my whole life. You know, this is what I've spent money on. I don't have fancy cars and houses and stuff, but I've got a lot of guitars. And um, yeah, man, I, I still just play two. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's like uh when you hear someone say, oh, I've got hundreds of Ferraris, but I only drive the one, you know? <laughs> yeah, or I only drive the Fiat yeah. to the shops. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> oh, man. And the final one. So what song would appear on the soundtrack to your life? I'd say maybe not that it's one of my favorite songs, but just emotionally, it does something to me so heavily. The Gaslight Anthem, the Gaslight Anthem 59 sound. Right, right. Has to be that one song. So, well, just, uh, yeah, I could, uh, man, that could, uh, that you could leave me thinking on that for hours. So let me just say that. It doesn't <laughs> encapsulate my life, but there's a feeling. Hmm. There's a feeling in that song that does something. Brilliant. Has to be that one So, Listen, Martin, I've really enjoyed it now i've thoroughly enjoyed it i've actually found this interview very refreshing oh thank you and me too and me too uh, thanks for letting me just talk your ear off i'm sorry <laughs> no i really enjoyed it now <laughs> to be honest thanks a million
I really hope you enjoyed this episode. If you did, please rate and review us on iTunes and Spotify. And if you're interested in signing up the Band Builder Academy, use the link in the show notes below and enter the code CONCERTS and you'll receive 10% off. So, until next time, keep rocking. Hey! Hey, what are you guys still doing there? The show's over. It's over. You can go home. Go on. We'll see you next time. We'll be here. Bye.